Thank you, William. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we want to turn back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to pick it up in verse 3 today. And uh, we uh, had a couple of good weeks in this chapter, looking at some uh, different aspects of things, and now it's time to, uh, to move on, and we're going to look at a completely different subject today as uh, it begins to be unfold itself in this great chapter. We're going to start here when we finally read it. We're going to start reading in verse 3. But what we have today, and, and I, really, I, I really enjoy studies like this, uh, what we have today is really a study uh, on the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, uh, I, I, I can glean, and I have over the years, gleaned so much from his experiences. And as a Christian or someone who ministers the Word of God, uh, you, you can too. Now I, now, I know, you know, Paul was not a pastor. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Paul was what they call in the Bible an evangelist. And a biblical evangelist in the Bible is, is much different than the evangelist that we have today. Uh, an evangelist in the Bible is someone who, who went around starting churches. And he stayed in those churches maybe for a couple of years till he, he built up a, a leadership and then he turned it over to a, a young man that would pastor it after he left. In fact, many of the people that Paul has relationships in the Bible with that we read about uh, who have churches were just like that. And, you know, we'll talk about some of those here in, in a little bit. But I'll tell you. Uh, but as an evangelist, uh, he's doing the same thing that we try to do, and that is building people. That's what he does. He builds churches, he builds people, and he ministers to people through the aspect of his being an evangelist, and then he moves on and he, he starts another church someplace else. You know, we're all, if you're saved this morning, you may not be a pastor, but you are a minister, and we're all ministers of the gospel. And it's always good to know, uh, especially if you're dealing with people and you're in a, you know, you get to deal with people, you get to deal with the dark side of human nature many times and all of the issues that go along with that. And it's, it's good to, uh, to see uh, someone else uh, as Paul uh, that has to deal with the issues that um, they can be very frustrating. And, and I guess if anybody ever got frustrated in the ministry, uh, Paul did. Uh, in his dealing with people, uh, the people at Corinth in this particular study here, uh, we have see that he goes through the exact same things that you're going to go through and I'm going to go through. You know, Paul may have lived 2,000 years ago, but human nature never changes and the problems are always the same. And Paul, in dealing with people, you know, uh, he, he goes through the exact same issues and problems that you're going to deal with uh, in the lives of people. And in this particular case with the church at Corinth, and there's many problems that you, you have to go through with people. But Paul's issue here is the one of indifference. Uh, and there was an element of indifference in the church of Corinth. And for me, it's good to see his frustration level. Uh, and at the same time, it's good to see that through that frustration, I get to see his burden at the same time. And then on top of that, if we study it out, we get to see how he handled it biblically. Because I'm going to tell you, many of you are turning in your applications and you want to be part of a people ministry that's going to learn the upper levels of being able to open up the Word of God and, and help people solve their problems. That, that's very commendable, and that's what we all uh, at some point in our lives should, should endeavor to do. But I'm telling you right now uh, that uh, these are lessons that you need to learn because he and how he handles it biblically really sets the model for us 
uh, to follow uh, in trying to work with people. I, and, you know, and I was thinking about this this week. Another great example of that in the Old Testament this time is, the, is Moses. You know, uh, boy, you talk about a guy who got frustrated with people. Uh, Moses did. And uh, in an Old Testament sense, Moses really, um, he's, he's the pastor of the nation of Israel. The word pastor comes from someone who watches sheep uh, in a pasture type situation, watches over them. And how many times is Israel called the flock of God? And he's certainly uh, pastoring them, shepherding them in every sense of the, of the word. And, and any time, you know, I get down in the ministry or get frustrated with things, I just spend a little time with Moses. And, uh, boy, he's a perfect cure for it. I cannot imagine what it was like. I know what it's like with a church of about 300. I can't imagine what it's like with 2.5 million people. And half of them like you, the other half don't like you. Half agree with what your decisions are, the other half doesn't. Uh, it's, it must have been incredible. I mean, I totally understand why there's times that Moses went into God in the privacy of his tent and just said, God, just kill them all. Let's just wipe them out and start over again. I understand it. God didn't do it, but I understand it. And, uh, you know, uh, but as far as a practical aspect is concerned, uh, Paul is closer to me in the ministry than Moses is. I can better relate to him. Moses, as I said, he's dealing with a nation. And he's dealing with two and a half million people, maybe more. Uh, and, and on top of that, he's what? some 3,800 plus years removed from where I'm at. But when you look at Paul and study the church at Corinth where we're at, now we're, we're the same in at least one respect. He's building New Testament Bible-based churches. So are we. He's in the church age. So am I. He's dealing with born-again, spiritually circumcised people who are saved and in the body of Christ found in a New Testament church scenario just like you and me. And the things that he goes through are great for us. If we learn the lessons, if we see the things that he goes, these things become invaluable. Honestly, they're both invaluable. Moses and what he goes through, I'm not shortcutting that at all. But I'm talking about from a practical standpoint of where we're at today in the church age. Paul was where we were at. And he's more where we're at, and we can learn much from his circumstances uh, that he goes through. So let's, let's begin reading here where we left off. We're going to pick it up in, in chapter 7, verse 2. And uh, yet we're going to look at another aspect of the ministry uh, of people. And you want to remember, and I keep telling you this, the ministry is people. We don't minister to inanimate objects. We minister to people. So he says there in verse 2, receive us. We have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and to live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God had comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not by his coming only, but the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. Now, Father, help us today to understand and look at what we have here. 
help us to apply all these things to our life and, and learn from these great lessons. I know that in this room today there are, are, are men and women on, that are on different levels. Some of them just got saved. Some of them are still trying to find their way out. Uh, some of them have been saved and they're moving up. Some of them are growing. Some of them are at that level where they're ready to really do something. But, Lord, we always want to keep moving in that direction. And so help us, no matter where we're at today, no matter what level we're on, uh, help us to learn uh, from where we talk about today that we might see these great truths. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, in all of this, we begin to see something here that I think that we all need to grasp, especially if you're ever going to get into the aspect of ministry where you work with people. And I know maybe some of you aren't doing that now, but my hope for you is that someday that you get to that point. But I'm going to tell you this, and I see it in Paul's life. I think the single most frustrating thing uh, in the ministry, and I see it in Paul, and I know it's true from my aspect of it all my life. I've been in the ministry some 40-some years now, and I, it's always been a frustrating issue. And for me and for Paul here, I think the single most frustrating thing is to see God's people who simply refuse to live up to their potential of where they're really at of what they can do for the Lord. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a shame in so many times. And in this chapter, it's very easy to see Paul's frustration with his church. Yet, uh, you know, I'm just telling you, there, there's always going to be that element, and I don't care what church you go to. A number of years ago, there was an ad on television for uh, a college fund. I can't remember all the details of it, but it, it, at the end of it, it, it wanted you to give to this college fund, and a statement at the end was, because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And, and that is so true. Uh, it is true. And I think for the Christian... Uh, the, worse than that is the wasted life of, uh, of never uh, coming to the point where uh, you ever give God all that he wants to have in your life and all that he wants to do. Uh, you know, I, we have several teachers uh, in, our, in, our, in, our class, in our church here, and, and I, I think all the respect in the world for teachers. Outside of this, our church, I know several teachers that are good teachers that taught in the school system for many, many years, and, and, and I've talked with them time to time, and without them all getting together, they all basically, at some point or the other, say the same thing, and I'm sure you probably have felt this way. You know, you have a student, and he's a bright kid. He's got a very imaginative, you know, great personality. He's not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he's very intelligent. And you look at that student, and he has, from you as a teacher now, he has all the potential to achieve in his life all that he or she wants. I mean, they have an incredible personality. They have incredible potential. And I, you know, I, I look back in my own life, and I got to tell you, I was a goofball in school. I, I was. Uh, I took it a little more serious when I got into high school, but my grade school years up to seventh or eighth grade, you know, that was the thing that they always told my parents. And my parents, they always told her the same thing. He has great potential. He's got a great personality. He looks like Brad Pitts, and he's got all these things going for him. But you know what? He just won't apply himself. I was a daydreamer. I, I, don't set me by the window. Because I'll watch out there, and I was looking at everything in life except what the teacher was saying. And I'm sure that, you know, teachers, uh, all teachers have students like that. They're bright. They're intelligent. They have great potential. But they never reach their potential. They never even come close. Because they just never try. 
They play all the time. They take nothing seriously. They're indifferent to the academia that uh, is in front of them to learn the classes. And it reflects their attitude about life. And many of them, many of them get so frustrated with, with learning, bored with school, tired of wasting eight or nine hours of their day because they don't apply themselves. When they get a first chance to be a dropout and get out of school, it's what they do. It's exactly what they do. But in ministry and in dealing with people, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a person that throws their life away. I mean, I'm not talking about just teenagers. We expect it from teenagers. Teenagers go through those terrible teens, you know, where if you don't get a handle on them, they can, they can, they can be, cause some issues. But I'm talking about moms and dads. I'm talking about people in their 20s and their 30s. I'm talking about even in some cases, grandma and grandpas. Some people just never grow up. And, I, and, and it's a thing where, for me, it's good to see Paul in this situation. Because it helps sort it all out. Because he's frustrated with the church of Corinth because he knows what they could do. He knows and sees, as I do, the potential that is in that church. Now, I won't tell you. When, you're, when, you, want, when you want the best for people, when you want people to achieve everything, and, t- and that's what teachers do. Teachers don't, if you ain't figured this out yet, teachers don't teach because they make a lot of money. <laughs> they don't. They teach because they love to teach. They teach because they want to help people develop inside themselves all the potential that they have. And there's nothing more frustrating. Matt, am I telling the truth here? There's nothing more frustrating than you having a, you having a student in your class who you see what he has. You see his ability or her ability, but they just never reach their full potential. It just, it, it just never does. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same thing in the ministry. And for me, it's good to see Paul in this situation because it helps sort it all out. It helps, for me anyhow, put it into some kind of perspective and the ability to learn something. You know, in ministry, it's very easily to, easy to lose your perspective. It's that old proverbial, you can't see the forest for the trees. But this is a great passage. Paul's a very driven guy. Uh, Paul, I don't know if you know this or not, we'll get to it here in a couple more chapters, but Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, he's caught up to heaven. He saw the glory of God up there. He got up there. It wasn't like he had some, he had some, uh, a picture in a book or some movie he saw. No, God actually lifted him off this planet, took him up to the third heaven, flopped him down in front of the throne and showed him everything that God was doing. And then, took him by the scruff of the neck and throwed him back down on that dusty old road out there and said, now what you've seen up here, you go tell everybody. He was a driven man. He'd seen the glory of God. And, and, and I know that God's not going to pull you up to heaven. He's not going to reach down and, and take you up there and show you all those things. But he doesn't have to because he has all those things in this book. And you can see everything in this book that Paul saw up there. And just as what he saw up there was the driving force behind him, when you get a hold of what's in here, it'll be the driving force that's behind you. And I'll tell you, you know this is true. Some of you people, some of you people own businesses. And you know you got people that work for you that are clowns. 
And nothing is more frustrating. Rebecca, I'm sure you see it as a teacher. I'm sure all you teachers see it as teachers. I see it as a teacher, and I'm not even a public school teacher. I'm not even sure I'm a teacher, but I see it. (laughs) Nothing is more frustrating than seeing somebody that has the potential to be something great and do nothing with it. And that's Paul's frustration. And nothing drives a driven person to crazy. Nothing drives a person who is always on time. You know what really drives them crazy? People who are never on time. I'm waiting for my kids to show up. I'll call Jamie. Where are you at? Be there in five minutes. I know by her, I'll be there in five minutes. I got 35 minutes to do whatever I got to do. I know that. She's as predictable as they can be. And I understand. I'm not fighting it. I love it. It's part of her charm. But that's the way it is. But I'm just telling you, if you're a driven person and you're punctual and you're there, people like that drive you crazy. Not that you're not a driven person. You are a driven person. And, you know, I'm just making a point. I talked about Thursday night about being old school. Talked about Woody Hayes, the old football coach from Ohio State. You see, that's part of my problem. I'm as old school as you can get. I, I, I'm not into this newfangled stuff. Now, there's a story in the Bible that fits right into where we're at today. It's when, it's when they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put it on an ox cart. Remember that? And they were getting around by the ox cart, and one of the guys, you know, one of the guys, Uzziah, it, the ox stumbled, and it began to fall, and Uzziah went up to put his hand on it, and God killed him. Now, a lot of people read that story and said, well, what's God's problem? I mean, did not he try to help? Did not, would it have been better for the ark to fall on the ground? Because God just got a bad attitude that day and looking for somebody to whack, and he saw Uzziah down there and said, I'll kill him. No, no. It's never right to do wrong to try to get the chance to do right. Uzziah wasn't the aspect that he was reaching up and touching it. If the problem was the, the ark would have, should have never been on that ox cart to begin with. It's to be carried on your shoulders. It's to be carried through state. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of the old way the Bible's to be taught and churches are to run versus the new ox cart way they're all run today. It's the difference between standing up and preaching the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and holding people accountable to the Word of God, and doing what's right in the book and standing on it, versus this new morality religion we have today where the the Lord Jesus Christ, the ark, is on an ox cart. No, the ministry is never to be put on an ox cart that you carry, an ox pulls it. The ministry is to be born on the shoulders of God's people. That's why the staves. That's why they had to carry it on their shoulders. Now, that'll drive you crazy. 20th century, 21st century Christianity drives me nuts. I can't watch it on television. I'd, be, I'd, have, a, I'd have a bill every month of $9,000 in broken televisions because I'd throw something through them. It drives me nuts. And Paul's that way too. Uh, driven people are driven crazy by people who, who it's right in front of you. And in verse 3, He says this. He says, receive us. In verse 3, Paul point blank commands them to receive him and what he's saying. 
Now, you look at that and you read that down there and you say, well, you know, to, to somebody outside of Christianity or somebody that doesn't really understand the Bible or how it all works, that kind of seems harsh. You know, there's some things that you have to do in the Bible that people outside the Bible view and say, boy, that's really a harsh stand. But that's because they're outside and they don't see that sometimes the harsh thing to do is the right thing to do. And it's really not a matter, is it, is it harsh or not? It's really a matter, is it right or not? And that's where you got to get to. Uh, Paul had built this church. He won the people in this church to Christ. He had put his own life on the line. We've read it many times in the 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He had put his life on the line numerous times for this church. He suffered much affliction from it because of it, and he has earned the right to call them out on the carpet, so to speak, uh, when they're not doing what's right. And he says in verse 2, and boy, is this a great concept. And this is what a biblical-based ministry, as Paul had, has to be built on. He says in verse 2, We have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey guys, what are you upset about? All I've done is bring you God and his word. All I've done in this ministry is to tell you what the word of God says. I've not wronged any man, I've not corrupted any man, and I've not defrauded any man. By what right do you have to get upset and reject what I've got to say to you from God in the church that I built, in the church that you decided to come to. All I've done is give you what God has told me to give you. And I'll tell you, he says, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, and we have defrauded no man. And that, in that statement, in that situation, uh, here you have a model of how to run a Bible-based ministry. Now, in ministry, people are always going to get upset. It, it just happens. You're never going to get anybody together. Like some old Bob Jones Sr. said one time, wherever you've got movement, you've got friction. And boy, that is true. Nobody's ever always going to be happy. People are going to get upset, and they're going to get mad, and even in some cases, they're going to leave. But what you've got to do, and what Paul's talking about here is simply this. You've got to always make sure that it's on them, and, not, and, not, and, 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 and they're not dealing with whatever the issue is biblically and not on you uh, not dealing with it biblically. You want to always make sure that whatever you do in the ministry and dealing with people, this is why you got to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. You want to make sure that you wrong no man, you corrupt no man, and you defraud no man. You always do right by people. Paul always did right by people. You never do people wrong. You let people do you all the wrong in the world, but you never retaliate back and do them wrong. You just don't. You treat everybody equal. Too many people try to define other people. People look at somebody and they don't like this or they don't like that, and so they try to get in their mind, uh, their, uh, you know, the, who they are. And, and I'm telling you, that's not a good thing to do, especially in the ministry, because the thing you want to do is treat everybody equal. And do you ever know how you get to the point in ministry where you treat everybody equal? You quit defining people and we're in one great truth. And if you ever learn this truth, it'll be one of the, I was going to say the greatest truth you're going to ever learn, but there are going to be about 40 of them today, so that don't work. But here it is. People define themselves. You don't define anybody. 
people will define who they are. You build a relationship with somebody, and in six months in that relationship, you begin to see who they really are. Now, that's the problem in marriages, why they don't last. Because people don't give a time for the other person to define who each other is. And so they get married, and, and uh, they, don't, they don't, get, don't give it the time, and they wind up uh, six months later, two years later, they wind up looking at it and saying to themselves, this is not the person I thought they were. No, 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 you're wrong. They never were the person you thought they were. You just didn't let them define themselves. And in the ministry, I don't define people. I love you all. I love every one of you. And I don't define you. No, no, no. But you will define yourself because that's the way it has to work. And that's why you got you to gotta treat everybody equal. You give everybody the same opportunities. I, I, I tell you all the time, I don't care where you've been. don't care what you've done. I don't care. I don't care in your life in the past. I care, simply care. I don't need to know about it. I don't care about it. All I care about is where you're at right now and what you want to do from this point on. In ministry, and Paul does this all the time, there's never any hidden agendas. Hey, it was Paul in chapter 4, verse 2, that when he says in ministry, you've got to be open and, open and honest and commending yourself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's Paul. That's what the ministry has to be. There can be never anybody wronged, nobody can be corrupted, and nobody can be defrauded. And when people get mad and they get upset about whatever, you make sure that you can go back to the book and you did it by the book. You take no sides in a dispute. That'll get you killed faster than anything. You follow the Solomon principle. You know why? Because principles in the Bible will always define who's right and who's wrong. It's just people never want to apply them. They'd rather deal with their anger, deal with their emotions, deal with their feelings, instead of just opening up the book and letting the book define what it does. Let the Bible do its job in your life. You always follow the biblical principles in dealing with people. It's fair for everybody. It's like the tithe, 10%. How much fair can it get? If you make $200,000 a year, it's, it's, it's adjusted on your 10% of what that. If you make $200 a year, it's adjusted to that. It's fair for everybody. And that's why you got to use biblical principles. You deal with issues always. I don't care what issues they are. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care how bad it looks. Church at Corinth, Paul's dealing with all kinds of problems here. But you always notice he deals with the issues in a way that all can grow through it if you desire to. You don't do things to hurt people. You don't wrong any man. You don't corrupt any man. You don't defraud any man. You do it by the book, by based on the principles and you do it in a way that all can grow through it. Now, does that mean everybody's going to grow through it? Absolutely not. Does that mean everybody's going to respond and appreciate your way you do it? <laughs> Absolutely not. It just means that's what you do. That's what you do. You don't have no behind-the-scenes deals. It is what it is. I mean, uh, it, it, you, you always got to let people know where you're at. You always got to let people know where you're at. And then you hold yourself and everybody else accountable by the same standard, the Word of God. I said it Thursday night, you're accountable to me, I'm accountable to you, we're both accountable to the Word of God. That's how it works, or how it's supposed to work. Now, I said all that, and I'll tell you this, putting all those things into your life is a good thing. 
putting all those things in your life are an important thing if you're going to work with people. But know this, at the end of the day, all this will change absolutely nothing. When people get out of fellowship with God, the issues they say they have with other people are never really the issue. Because if it was the issue and they were right with God, then they'd follow the protocol in the Bible to fix the issue. Follow what I'm saying? It's never about them and somebody else. At the end of the day, peeling back all the levers, there's something between them and God. Why they won't do in any given situation what the Bible says we as Christians are to do. And that's the bottom line. It's the bottom line. I tell you all the time, you and I, we are absolutely not responsible. We are not responsible many times. Many times. Sometimes we are. Maybe most of the times we are. But in anybody's life, there will be times when things happen to you or you find yourself into a scenario where you, through no choice of your own, are in that situation. And you can look at it and say, I don't, I, 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 you know, I'm in this thing. Uh, it's, 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 this is not my deal. This is not my responsibility. And you may be in situations sometimes where it is not your responsibility, but at the same time, it is your responsibility how you deal with it. And that's what you got to do. We do what's right and do what, what the book says, no matter what anybody else does. I've had situations in my life where, and, and, and I've had situations in my own life through over the years where people have said something that I said something that I didn't say. And you know what? When I find out about it and I know I didn't say it, I'll go right to that person and say, hey, you know what? I want you to know I heard that you said I said this. I didn't say that. And I'm just telling you. And if, I, if somebody tells me at five, oh, it's five minutes after seven, I'll be on the phone to you at seven minutes after seven. You know why? That's how you deal with it. You don't get mad about it. Nothing to get mad about. But you always want to be man up to set the record straight. If everybody would do that, we wouldn't have any problems. We wouldn't have any problems. But that's what you do. That's what you do. But you got to remember, fixing issues that people really don't want to fix is impossible to do. Somebody says, what do you do in situations like that? You do what's right anyhow. I don't care who does right or who does wrong. For Christians, we need to do what's right. That's what Paul's saying all through his life. You always go the extra mile to fix an issue even though you know it can't be fixed. And if you're going to get into ministry, this falls back on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, where it says a bishop must be blameless. And I've told you many, many times, that verse was always a puzzlement to me. Uh, how can a bishop be blameless when he gets blamed for everything? In most cases, in most churches, that's true. But the way he stays blameless is because he, he deals with the issues biblically. He follows this protocol. He has no hidden agendas. Somebody says something. Somebody says he did this. Somebody says that. He finds out about it. He sits down with him and says, hey, look, that's not true. Now, I want to help you with this. Hey, I've been in situations before. This goes back to my previous point. I've been in situations over the years before where somebody was upset about something they thought I did, and when I found out what it was, and I found out that it wasn't what they said, and it was something else, I went back to that person, and I was the happiest guy in the world. I thought, happy days are here again. We got it made. They thought something that was wrong. I understand that. I didn't do it. I'm going to go back and correct it. We're all going to be bosom buddies. When you go back and tell that person, look, that's not what happened. I didn't say this. I didn't do this. They still were upset with you. You know why? Because when they want to be upset about something, they'll find something to be upset about no matter what the truth is. You've got to learn to deal with that. 
You always want to make sure if somebody gets their nose bent at a joint, somebody gets mad, or somebody leaves because they didn't want to follow the biblical protocol, make sure you do. Make sure you do. You'll still get blamed, but it comes back to that great concept of a good conscience toward God. You look back, and you know that in that particular situation, you did everything you could have do to fix it. You were open and honest and wanted to lay it on a table, but that's where you're at many, many times. That's where Paul's at, and that's Paul's whole case here. That's his whole concept that Paul's talking about. That's why he says, don't defraud it. I've not defrauded you. I've given you every chance. I've not wronged you. And I've certainly not corrupted you in any stretch. I came to you simply telling you what the Word of God said. But not everybody's happy about it. You see, the Bible has a process. It has a format to deal with fixing any problem that comes up. And I want to tell you, and I'll never understand this totally and completely until I get home to heaven, but I'll never understand it. There should never be any issues that two Christians can't settle. But do you know how many issues there are that they can't settle? We're both saved. We're both in the body of Christ. We're both under the blood of Christ. We both operate by the same principles. We both love the same God. We both both love each other. What could come into our world that we could not solve together with that book unless one or both parties don't want to? You see how simple it becomes? Everybody makes every life in Christianity so complicated. It ain't complicated. It ain't complicated at all. Paul says in verse 4, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Every pastor, every minister will have to face these same issues that that Paul had to deal with. In In this case, in Paul's case, it's an attitude of indifference. And to Paul, nothing, and I mean nothing was more frustrating than to watch people in the church at Corinth waste the opportunities that God had given them, waste their life, waste and never develop the full potential that God had for them and watch them waste it all and, I mean, and, and waste it on the stupid things of life that means nothing. And Paul here in this chapter, he exercises uh, the right that every pastor has uh, if he's biblical in his approach. And that is he used boldness of speech toward the people of God, the ones that God had given him. And you know what he's doing? He's doing the same thing that every pastor does if he's worth a salt. He's demanding that his church do what's right. Now, does that mean everybody will? No. But you demand that you live right. You demand from the pulpit. Maybe not in those same uh, words all the time, but that's what preaching is. Preaching is a call to holiness to do what God wants you to do. When I preach at another church, I I don't preach like I do when I preach to you because you're my people. I have built my life with many of you for some of you 30, 40 years. Some of you 10 years since we started our church. We have went through some deep times together in your life and in my life. We have seen your children get saved. Many of you I married. Many of you I baptized your kid. Many of you I baptized you. I built my life with you. And many of you minister in this work here with me side by side. And you know what? I have a right as your pastor to speak boldly to you just as you have a right as my people in this church to speak boldly to me. Amen. You saw a great example is when Jim Lake was here. I don't know if he even caught it. 
I sat back there, and as soon as I heard it, I just put a smile on my face because I know Jim. Remember what he said when he started preaching? And I'm going to paraphrase it now. I didn't have time to go back and exactly listen to it. But he said this. He said something to the effect that I'm not going to really preach to you today because I'm not your pastor. But rather, I'm going to show you some things in the Word of God that I think will help you. See, now that's a pastor who gets it. Jim's smart enough to know that he hadn't earned the right to say some things to you that probably he should have said. You see, guys at the mission make that mistake all the time, the young guys. Well, some of the older guys, too. They go down there and they see me clobber everybody up here and preach hard and get to this and all that, or they see somebody out there. So that's all they ever know. That's all they ever see. So they go down there and they try to do the same thing, and then they wonder why everybody gets mad at them. The answer is simple. You haven't earned a right to say that to them. I have earned a right to say some things to you, as you have earned a right to say some things to me. It's a two-way street. Where do we get the idea that you just got to listen to me and I don't ever have to listen to you? We're both held accountable by the same book. And, you know, Jim was smart enough to know that he hadn't earned the right to say some things to you, even though probably we needed to hear him. But he understood it. He had wisdom. And, you know, as a pastor, any pastor, and I just speak of myself, to you that have been with me for many, many years, hey, I've earned the right to drop the hammer when it needs to be dropped. That's the difference, see? That's what Paul's doing. He's earned that right. I mean, when it comes to right or wrong or it comes to things that have to be dealt with, the buck has to stop somewhere. God's people always like to pass the buck to somebody else. And it's very few Christians that will stand up in a situation and deal with it the way it needs to be dealt with. Everybody wants to pass the buck. And I understand that. Anybody here want to raise your hand and confess, I want to be a bad guy? No. We all want to be liked. We all want to be nice. We all want to be this. But I'm telling you, the buck has to stop somewhere. Where do we keep passing it? Well, in most cases, it gets passed back to the pastor. And that's okay. That's okay. That's the job. That's what Harry Truman was famous for that. He had a little thing on his desk that said, the buck stops here. There's someplace in anything, the buck's got to stop. And that's what leadership is. That's what leadership is. And that's the way it has to work. But I want you to look at this. Look at verse 3 again. See, I know he dropped the hammer, and they said, I want to speak to you boldly. And I know he's taking this church to task. But you got to see the whole thing. This is a great study. Look at verse 3. Paul's purpose in saying what he was saying to them was not to hurt them. Look what he says in verse 3. I speak not to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. See that thing? He was committed to this church. He said, I'm not telling you this to hurt you, and I'm certainly not doing to condemn you. He says, you're in my heart to live or die. You know what that means? He says, we're going to live together, or we are going to die together. I'm committed to you. It wasn't he was saying what he was saying because he wanted to be mean. He wanted to be nasty. He's not saying it to hurt their feelings. He's saying it because it's the truth and they need to hear it. He's saying it because it's what they need to hear. He loved this church. He loved the people of this church. He loved them enough to give his whole life to bring them God's word. They don't see that. They, we, they focus only on what is before them. 
They don't see a man here who gave up everything in his life, left his family, left everything, and give everything he had to this group of people saying, you know what, I'm going to build what God has put into me, into you. I love you. They lost that. They lost that. How easy it is to lose that when you get your eyes off the principles. He loved them enough to die for them. He loved them enough to suffer all the things that they said to him that was terrible. He loved them enough to suffer all the things that they did to him. All because he loved them. But I think most of all, when he makes that statement, I speak not to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. I think he loved them. He loved them enough to tell them the truth when they didn't want to hear it. You know, friends are important, and we all have friends. But you know the truth. In our lives today, there's probably not more than one, maybe two people who will honestly tell you the truth about yourself. People will tell you what you want to hear. People will always tell you what they think you want to hear. But your greatest friend in this planet will be the one who always will tell you the truth, not to hurt you, but because they love you. Paul dealt with this same aspect. You see it in everything. That's why it's such a great study. And I'll tell you right now, 2,000 years of church history hasn't changed much of it. When you go over in the church in, in the book of Galatians, which is the church at uh, Galatia. Now, here's a church that, again, Paul started. Here's the church where he invested his life. He taught them and gave them exactly what God wanted them to have. And, you know, and in Paul's day, it's different than today in one respect. There wasn't a lot of variance. I mean, uh, Paul was the only guy who had the truth because God gave it to him, and this is the infant stages of the church, and he's the only one that's got the truth, and he imparts it to other churches. And then here we are 2,000 years later with the mess we got today. But, but that, back then, it was just him. And he has started the church here in Galatia, and it started out as a good church, but then many times in churches, a group came in that said, oh, you're, you're believing this. Well, yeah, well, that's good, but there's some other stuff, and they were trying to get this church to believe in Jesus Christ, as Paul taught. But they also were trying to say, but you've got to keep the Old Testament law, best of both worlds, you see. And Paul hears about it, and he comes back, and he, he says, what's going on with you guys? He says, you guys know better than this. You guys know what I taught you. you get, and there were some people after how much he invested his life and their life in that church. We're upset with Paul. And he gives this famous line. Famous line. Oh, I love it. And it's so true. In Galatians 4, 16, he says, am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. And the answer to that today and all down through history is yes, you will. But so what? So what? What the Corinthians didn't realize or wouldn't recognize was the fact that he was not condemning them. He wasn't condemning them. He wasn't angry at them. He wasn't mad at them. He wasn't out to hurt them. He told you, I have defrauded no man. I have corrupted no man. He was not, that's not what he was doing. 
but he's burdened and frustrated because of one thing. And you know what it is? He knows they're better than this. He knows they're better than what they are. And he's frustrated because this church is not reaching its full potential. He's looking at this church, the man who builds churches, the man who was given the commission by God. And he's looking at this church. He sees this great potential in this church. And it's frustrating to him to see God's people in this church do nothing with what God has done for them and and never realize their potential. And for a guy like Paul, that will drive him crazy. And so he comes and he says, you know what? I'm going to speak to you boldly. He's earned that right. You know, and I, if, if I didn't know that Christianity and the church was different from everything else in life uh, any other way, I, I know it just by the way people deal with it. I mean, come on. Most of you guys played football. Most of you played baseball, some sports. And you know what? If you're a football player out there in high school or even college, I don't need to do it much in the pros, but if you were in high school or you were in the college and you were a football player and you weren't out there doing your job and you were missing tackles or you weren't blocking the quarterback and the coach got, you came in, the coach got you by the face mask and he says, what part of this game don't you understand? You have an assignment. Do your assignment. You're better than this. Would you get mad? Would you take your helmet off and say, I'm leaving the team. that what you do? Would you say, oh, no, I'm going to go sit over here. Or would you say, I'll show him. And the next time you go out there and a quarterback snaps the ball, you just stand there and say, have at him. I'll show him. Is that what you do? No, I'll tell you exactly what you would do. You would go out there and you'd fight harder with every ounce you got. You'd remember what your assignment was because you know what he did? He motivated you. And you knew that coach. You knew that coach was telling you that because it was true. You knew that coach had a hold of your face mask and was yelling in your face and spitting in your face because he knew. He watched you in practice. You were better than that. You do that in church. The Corinthian church was better than this. He'd been bragging about all that they had done. But he knows they're not reaching their full potential. He knows they're not doing all that they could do. And that was frustrating for Paul, but just it was frustrating for a coach. This is frustrating for a pastor. He sees what they could do if they would just get their priorities straight. Get the real purpose in life. Uh, Paul sees what this church, and he, he built this church because he knew that he couldn't reach everything. He couldn't do everything as one man. He needed this church as all the other churches to go out and continue on what he did. And he's frustrated because he sees the potential in this church and he sees what this church could do, that he could be someplace else doing what he does. But he's frustrated because they won't realize their potential. 
I'll be honest with you. I, 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 I feel the same way many times. I look at what we could be doing. I said Thursday night, we had a great Bible study Thursday night. I told you, I said, and I know that some people probably thought it was stupid. But you know what? That's what it is. But it's, a, it's one of those things where, you know, I, 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 we had, I think I said Thursday night, last Sunday or the Sunday before last or two Sunday, I don't remember what it was. On a regular day out, when we were, we were at Restart, so it had to be a couple of weeks ago, we had three or four guys out preaching that afternoon. And I sit back and I look at that and I think to myself, that's great. That's what I want. But at the same time, then I say, why enter six? You tell me the potential's not here? I'm going to tell you something. And I think this is probably the most frustrating thing. The potential in this church is overwhelming. This is one of the greatest collections of bodies of people that you're ever going to find on planet Earth, my own humble opinion, based on 40 years of looking at them. Now, what gets frustrating is, is I believe that in these last days, God racked us all up like cue balls on a, on a pool table and wants to scatter us throughout this city, him being the cue ball. I mean, come on. Let me put it where you can maybe even get it a little better. How would you feel as a parent? Now, I know as parents, you're all parents. If you don't want to be a parent, don't drink the water. That's all I can tell you around here. <laughs> there are some churches you drink the water and you turn out from a good person to a bad person. You want to stay away from those water fountains. We don't have that kind. We have one that you drink and you're pregnant tomorrow. So there we are. See, which one is it? It's the one the guys don't drink from. <clears throat> but how would you feel as a parent? Because I, you're all parents, and I know you, you want the best for your kids. I mean, you do. I know you do. You want the best for your child. Most parents do. And you look at your kid, and, and you see them, and you, you, they had tremendous potential. Great little shining personalities, little bubbly little spirits. But how would you feel if, in spite of that, as you raised them, you saw them on a course of wasting their life? Now, I got to tell you, many children do. I mean, as they grow up, they go through, you know, teenagers and they have problems and you can't talk to them. You can't get anywhere with them and they get a little older and you can't do it. And they get into drugs, they get into alcohol and they get into this and they get into that. Or they shack up with every guy or girl that they find and it becomes a, I mean, and you look at that as a parent, you stand back and, and you grow up uh, and that child grows up with an absolute, they got great potential. Hey, I've seen kids that were absolutely terrible kids. And I've talked to those kids and masking all of the problems they've got. I look down inside and I think to myself, man, there is absolutely incredible potential in this kid. I know how the parents must feel. They go from one bad relationship to another, up one dead end street after another, make one more mess after another, never happy, always wanting to be happy. Now, let me ask you a question. If that was true in your life and you were a parent, would you stand by and let it happen? Now, I say a lot of parents do. But honestly, from a biblical standpoint, knowing your responsibility as a parent, would you stand by and let it happen and waste their life in mess after mess? Or, or would, you, would you enable them in this worthless lifestyle that they have? Many parents do. 
I mean, I've seen parents that, that had an opportunity to, to, to do something for their child, and all they do is make excuses for them. When you make excuses for your child, you're enabling your child. That's the way it works. I've seen them blame their situations on somebody else's kids or this person or that. Would you actually consciously enable them to be worthless in their life? Or would you, with great boldness of speech, demand that they do what's right? That's what you got to do. You say, well, my kids are 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. You know, they don't listen to anybody. There should, I'm going to tell you something. There should never be a time in your child's life, if you're 500 and he's 300 or she's 300, that your influence ceases to be in their life. Rule one in parenting, I've told you this a thousand times. Never allow anybody to have more influence in your child's life than you. And if you do, that's when you lose your power. Next to God, that kid out of just be absolutely heartbroken to break fellowship with mom and dad. And some of them can't wait to get away from them. But how do you deal with it? You deal with it. I mean, come on. You deal with it with great boldness of speech. It's the same deal. You want the best for them, your son and your daughter. Hey, Paul wanted the best for this church. It's the same thing. And as your pastor, I want the best for you. And the only way you can hold the line is to use great boldness of speech and demand that they do what's right. Now, does that mean they're going to? Absolutely not. But they know where the brick wall is. That's what this church knew. I love you to death, but that's where you know too. I mean, I love you. I'd do anything for you. I'll be your best friend in the whole wide world, and I'll go through anything with you. But there is a place where the buck stops. Now, in dealing with people, God's people, it's far from a perfect world. I, I know. I know. It's a shame it is, but it is. And I know that some people will never get it, never change. So how, how do you deal with all of that? I mean, if you, if you really love people, as Paul did... <laughs> And you really want this church, Church of Corinth, to do everything. And he's frustrated by their not realizing their potential. And at the same time, he's, he's smart enough to know that not everybody is going to do it. You know that'll drive you nuts? How do you deal with that? Last Thursday night, it was a great question that Mike asked. And it was a, it, it was a, I look at it as a prelude to where we're at today, and I told you so. But this is, the, this is the real source of Paul's frustration. And uh, it's it just, it just and, and the answer is right here in our text. And it's probably one of the greatest things you'll ever learn if you learn it. I, I told you last Thursday night that I'm a very simple guy. I, I, I'm not very complicated. I, I live my life by three or four very basic, simple rules. And rule one, I told you Thursday night, and I told you it was going to talk about it today, so it's no surprise that uh, I, I told you that the rule, that, one of the rules that keeps me from going over the edge and, 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 and is the fact that I never dwell on what I don't have, but always a focus on what I do have. That's true of people. That's true of churches. It's true of anything. I look at the things that God has directly given me. 
that I'm aware of in my life that God has given me. And then when I recognize what God has given me in my life, and I'm God conscious toward that, you tell me in life what can take that away. You know what a lot of God's people's problem is, why their, 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 their noses are out of joint so much about things? It's because at the end of the day, God hasn't given them anything. They have nothing to focus on except their own misery. They have nothing to focus on except the, the undone problems that string on through the end of their life. I never focus and dwell on what I don't have. I always focus on what I do have, and I do that with people. Somebody says, well, so-and-so left the church. You know what? I'm sorry that, but I'm not going to focus on that because I got people here that stay and want to do the work of God. That's where my focus is. If I focused on everybody that didn't like me, I'd be over in a corner like this. I'm not going to be in that corner. You never focus on what you don't have. You focus on the people God gives you who line up with you, who get your heart to get the work done for God because at the end of the day, isn't that why we're all here? And in the rest of these verses, 5, 6, and 7, we see in Paul's life and ministry what always got him through. The indifference, the frustration that we face in the ministry. Verse 5 says, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, oh, there it is on the outside, within were fears, there it is. Nevertheless, God comforted those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of, of Titus. Now, when he goes to Macedonia, if you want to put this note in your Bible, this is Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 20. And he just treated pretty rough there. It wasn't a fun time. And he's treated, being treated rough by the church at Corinth. But in all of this, he shows you, and it's just four little words, what comforted him and got him through when people, circumstances, got so frustrating and he got frustrated because people who were saved by God didn't want to do what God called him to do. Four little words. The coming of Titus. You know, I talked last couple of weeks about people in your life that you need to avoid. People that will hurt you. And that's always true. But there's a great balance in our lives that needs to be there and certainly a great balance in ministry because God will put some people in your life that will get you through when nobody else does. God will put some people in your life that you need at that particular point in time. And the people God puts in your life that love God and love the book as much as you do. That was Titus. In Paul's ministry, God had put some uh, people there in his life that when all the rest didn't want to follow God, uh, he, he looked and he focused on the ones who did. And what a blessing that was to him. And all that he went through, you can read it in his voice, when all that he went through, and he says, the coming of Titus. When Paul was in prison, when he wanted to die, he said to Timothy, do thy diligence to come before winter. You're going to find that there were some great people in Paul's life that, that God put there. And God will give you people in your life that will minister, that you minister to, that will be an encouragement to you when things get tough. 
Titus, Paul won him to Christ. He invested his life with him. He's a pastor. He makes up what we call the pastoral epistles, one of the books. And in the book he writes, the theme couldn't be a better theme to have your life built around because the theme of Titus is stewardship for God. You see, God will give you those people. You know, I, I, Paul built the people and, and we build people. And in building with people and in Paul's life, some of them were really good with Paul and carried it at the distance. Some didn't do what was right and, 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 and turned against Paul. But at the end of the day, Paul never focused on that. He focused on the Tituses. He focused on the Timothys. He focused on the Philemon. He focused on the Priscilla and the Quillas. He focused on those that were of a faithful spirit. God will give you people who will love that book and love God and love the work of God as much as you do and love you too, and they will comfort you and encourage you by what they do because they're of a faithful spirit. They grasp the book. They understand people. They understand the ministry. They decide through a conscious choice in your church to be your co-laborer. And they labor up with you. They yoke up with you. They become part of your ministry. God sends them to you. God looks down. If you're God conscious, God looks down. He sees you trying to do something. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to give you some people that are going to help you. Because, son, I know it's going to be lonely down there. I know it's going to be hard down there. And you need to have some help. So he gives you some people. It starts with your family, and then it works out from there. And he puts some people in your life, people that will understand what the ministry is, what you're trying to do. That's what Paul did. But Paul, he, because he was a people person, he never, he never, never, never totally got past the fact that he looked at all the other ones and said, man, what a waste of potential. But you know what? Can't focus on that. You can't focus on that like your children. You want the best for them, but at the end of the day, they have to make their own choice. Paul cared that, carried that same burden for the people at Corinth. But there comes a point that you have to just say, hey, look, it's your choice, man. I got a ministry I got to do. I got to do what God's called me to do. And when you do that, you look around and you see what God has given you what he's provided for you. You look at the Tituses, as I said, the Timothys, the Philemon, the Aquila and the Priscilla's that God gave you to get the job done. And that's where, if you're smart, you learn to put your focus. You don't focus on what you don't have. You focus on what God has given you to get the job done. And then you get the job. If you focused on what you didn't have, you know what would happen? You'd never get the job done. There comes a point where you got to let it go and you got to focus on the ones that God has given you. And they're the ones that are going to get it done. I mean, you want everybody to have the best with God. You look and see what you can do more and better, what you can teach, what you can preach. You try to do everything you can to try to get them where they need to be. And you say to yourself, if all of God's people would just see and answer the call of God, look what we could get done. But you know what? In reality, that's not going to happen because all through history and all through the Bible, God's got it done with a faithful few. Through boldness of speech, you preach the truth. You make people better to help them 
reach their real potential for God. But at the end of the day, it has to be their choice. You know, there's a great verse that I use in my rejoicing with the people that God has given me. And let's face it, I told you before, told you many times, I exist for one purpose. I may do a lot of fun things. You may think I'm a fabulous softball player. You may think that I'm the king of the volleyball court. Those are all deceptions. I have one thing in my mind. I eat, sleep, and drink it, and that is to do the work that God has saved me and called me to do. So many times in my heart, I've, I've, I've seen this verse. I've watched many of you over the years do little things that no one sees. And I've really walked away thinking of this verse, putting your name in this verse. You know, in the book of Philippians, in, in every book that Paul wrote, he had issues. He wrote the seven churches that we know of. In six of them, he had problems. But he never had a problem with the church at, at Philippi. Because he looks at this thing here and he gives a little verse here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, and it's a great verse. And I have it in my Bible, my model minister friend. See, I, I realize that no one man can do this work by himself. I know that. I'm not such a fool to think that I have the ability, I have the endurance to, to do all that gets done. That's, that's stupid. Any pastor who thinks that and tries to keep it all to himself is going to fail miserably. No, no, the job is to take this and to take every young man and every young woman, every little kid growing up, and from day one begin to infuse into them principles of leadership because in ministry you have to, it, 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 you have to lead from the front, not from the back. And you take men and women who want to, that have any, any inkling of leadership skills, and once they get their head straightened out of what they need to do with their own life, then you take them, you mold them, and, and, and you look at them in time. Just like Paul, when he was going through what he went through, he looked at Titus, Timothy, Philemon, Aquila and Priscilla, and a hundred others, this guy too. He says something about this guy, that's my five points that I look for in my friends in the ministry. I may I never preached this, never even said this, but boy, this is in my heart 24-7. Because he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, he says, and I suppose it necessary to send you Aphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Now, this Aphrodite, is nothing more said about him in the Bible to any great detail, but there's five things about him that made him special to Paul. And I'm telling you, when Paul went through his tough times and he got discouraged and he got frustrated, it was looking at guys like this and women like he had in his life that God had given him, that he focused on, that had his heartbeat and had his desire. And he says about him, he's my brother. You know, the Bible says, we know that that means he's saved, but yet the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, that a brother is born for adversity. A brother will stick with you through all the hard times. You know, I have people, I have people all the time through my life, and I never say it, but I, 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 have, I, I have people say, you know, well, I'm going to stand by you. And I always think to myself, that's nice. 
I'd rather have you stand with me. Anybody can stand by me. What I'm looking for is somebody that will stand with me. And a brother is born for adversity. He says, my companion in labor. God give him Paul's heart. He saw what Paul was trying to do. I, I have people in my life that, 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 that understand what God has called me to do. I, I watch some of you. And I watch the, and I know you're all human and you all make mistakes and some of, we all can be goofballs and the whole nine yards, but I watch you. I watch you in situations where I need to take you from here and put you here to get you to do this and get you to do that. And, and, and there's never a complaint. There's never, well, I really want to do this. I want to do that. You just simply do because you've learned. You learned that the ministry is not always what we want, but the ministry is what we got to do, what the needs are. And you just move wherever that is. Uh, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, 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 I observe a lot more things than I speak about. I read a lot more than I talk about. And I see what Paul was talking about. He says, my fellow soldier... Boy, that's a great one. Sharing the same foxhole. Realizing that we're in this ministry together. A fellow soldier will never, will never, will never break ranks. He'll hold the line. He'll never steal your canteen when he's thirsty and he doesn't have any water. He'll never file up your rifle so it won't work. He'll never back off while you're advancing. He'll never fail in any situation to cover your flank. He'll never refuse, no matter how hungry he is, to share his last rations. He'll never betray you to the enemy. He'll never go to sleep on his watch. And he'll never let you take all the fire. He's a fellow soldier. He says, my messenger... Romans chapter 10, verse 12 and 15 says, He bringeth glad tidings of great joy. We have the same message. This afternoon, we're going to go share that message. You share it throughout the week, wherever you go. Minister to my wants. Now, I, I, now I know the Bible says, My God shall supply all of your needs. I know that. But you know what? Close friends in ministry... They just don't minister to each other's wants. Not in a worldly sense. We, we minister, we do, we minister to each other's wants. Not in a worldly sense, but what we can do for each other. I watch some of you take care of each other. When you don't know, I watch. I watch some of you do little things for people nobody sees. It doesn't get talked about in the circles. I just watch what you do. I watch how that you look out for each other. And you know, and it, it, it's another principle that I live by. And I, I, it's one of my simple little rules. And it's simply you always take care of those who take care of you and your ministry. Don't ever take for granted. I won't. I will never take for granted the people 
that God has given me to do this work. Now, I understand, and I don't want to give the illusion that some of you physically can't go to restart. I understand that. Some of you physically can't get out and play volleyball. I understand that. But that doesn't mean you're not invaluable in what you do. I mean, some of the people that can't go to restart bring in hot dog buns and bring in this and bring in that. You find, you find a way to do whatever needs to be done because that's what the ministry is. The ministry is looking at the issue, looking at the circumstance, and then everybody pulling together, finding a way to get it done for the Lord. If I've learned anything in ministry, I've learned this over the last 40-some years. Everybody's a taker. Everybody's a taker. Everybody wants to take from the ministry. Very few people want to give to it. Everybody's got their hand out for something. And it's always empty. But that's the ministry. But that just makes you appreciate the ones, the Tituses, all them four little words, the coming of Titus. That was Paul's comfort and the stress that he went through of the men and the women that God gave him. And that's what he focused on. He focused on what he did have, not what he didn't have. He focused on the men and women that knew that when push come to shove, he could look to the left and right and they'd be lined up on the flanks. He took comfort in that. Because sometimes that's all that's going to get you through. So, these are great lessons to learn. As you develop yourself and God uses you, these little principles will become invaluable. They will help you always stay focused on the right thing and realize that while you want everybody to make it and you want everybody to be the best for the Lord and you actually want everybody to realize their full potential and there's nothing more frustrating than watching somebody who's saved waste their life and what they have. But the reality is not everybody will. But you preach the Word of God to them boldly. You wrong no man, you corrupt no man, you defraud no man. Old Bob Jones Cena used to say, you do right till the stars fall. And you never forget that the people that are co-laborers with you, that's where your focus is. Because at the end, that's what God has done. I told you this Thursday night. I believe with all of my heart that in the day and age that we live, in the last days that we live, that God has put our church here. People come, they stay, they move through. Some stay, some go. Some stay for a while and then go. It's all kinds of variations. But at the end of the day, I really believe because of what this Bible-based ministry is, not me, the Bible, I believe that it's a last chance for many people where God says, you know what? You made some messes in life. You screwed some things up. I'm going to give you a chance to fix every problem you got in a scenario that whatever you've been, whatever you've done can get fixed and you can get for me what you need to get. And the people come in, they look at that, God deals with them in their heart, they hear it, and then some say, boy, that's what I'm looking for. Others say, no thanks. I don't focus on that. I focus on what God has called us to do and the people God has given me to get it done. My Tituses, my Timothys, my Aquila and my Pacillus, my Aphrodites, my Philemons.
You always stay focused on what you got from God that he's given you. Those are the most important things that you'll ever have. You never forget, no matter how frustrating it gets, the Titus is of life, the coming of Titus. In my life, and I'm done, two verses that I build my ministry on. First, one, Second Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. I'm not even going to preach on I'm just going to read them to you. Second Samuel 10, 12. This is my own personal verse for the ministry. Be of good courage, and let us play the man for our people and for the city of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth him good. You see, leadership is taking a stand and playing the man. Man for our people and the city of our God. Then my second verse for ministry is for you. That one's for me. But this one is to you. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear with us. You know, the world talks about soulmates. Oh, she's my soulmate. <laughs> He's my soulmate. Oh, look at him. Soulmates in the Bible is the true term. Because your soul and my soul was made one with his soul. And together, true soulmates or a man and a woman, people in a church, because of what God has done in their soul, knit their souls together for the work of God, mated for the work that God has called us to do. That's what Paul was frustrated with, the potential that he saw in people that many times is never realized. These are principles that'll get you through. And these are principles that when you work with people, people can be the most frustrating, discouraging thing on the planet. They will be. But for every five that wind up as zeros, God will give you one Titus, and it'll make the rest of them worth it all. I leave you with never focus on what you don't have, kids. Focus on what you do have. I'm going to pray, and we're going to be dismissed in 10 minutes. We'll meet back down here for our recess.